Our power in the streets prevailed. Our love for our students prevailed and our determination for a better future for the students of Oakland prevailed. Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. And that was Keith Brown, president of the Oakland Teachers Union, announcing the tentative settlement of the seven-day teacher strike in Oakland on Friday afternoon. That's pending ratification by the teachers themselves. This was the second such settlement in as many months in California after the high-profile strike in Los Angeles last month. John, at first glance, it looks like the teachers' union scored a major victory, arguably even more impressive than what was reached in Los Angeles. Teachers were seeking a 12% pay raise, and the district was offering 5% before the strike got underway. And in the end, teachers got an 11% pay raise, plus a bonus to compensate them for their lost wages during the strike. They also got commitments from the district to reduce class sizes and to hire more counselors than other support staff. And, remarkably, the district agreed to give school nurses a $10,000 bonus. At the moment, though, it's still far from clear where the funds will come from to pay for this increase. The district says they'll cover the costs by making budget cuts they were already planning to make. But still, lots of questions right now. I know lots of people will be looking to Sacramento or to the voters for help, but it's far from clear if they'll get any, and if they do, how much they'll get or in what form. Well, not only that, but right now they have to report to the state how they're going to balance their budget in order to make use of a relief from bond payments that the district's paying for the last time it went insolvent. So, no, it's a district that's really struggling. Not the only district in the state. I mean, there are these structural conditions that many districts are suffering from, declining enrollments, which means less money coming into the district from the state based on attendance, Uh, charter schools, particularly affecting some districts like Oakland, and these rising pension costs, which we're going to be talking about in a bit. I think that many of the pressures that districts are facing are concentrated in Oakland. One issue that has come up in both Los Angeles and Oakland is a demand for more school nurses. The problem is there's a nationwide shortage of nurses, and that translates into a shortage of school nurses. California is one of the nation's worst student-to-school nurse ratios, 2,500 nurses to one student. That's a lot of students to see for one nurse, for sure. In fact, you mentioned L.A. The L.A. contract calls for hiring 340 nurses, and that includes 40 for unfilled jobs. But, you know, it's one thing to approve positions. It's another to hire them. And it's not clear at all where the district will go to find these people. So districts around the state are grappling with this issue. And uh, we decided to talk to one district that seems to be doing a little better than most. That's San Jose Unified School District in the Bay Area. We're very pleased to have on the line Melinda Landau, who is manager of health and family support programs in the San Jose Unified School District. She's a registered nurse. And um, Melinda, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So what is the current situation in terms of your nurses in the district? At San Jose Unified, we're fortunate because we have in our contract a ratio of one nurse to every 1,250 students. So we currently have 26 nurses in our district. And so that is a better ratio 
than the statewide average. Is that correct? Yes, that's much better than the statewide average. It is really unusual for districts and unions to work together to put in ratios. So it's not as high or as good as we would like it to be. Um, uh, ideally, we would have a nurse in every school building. So, uh, well, how, have you been able to meet that ratio then? Have you been able to find the nurses? We have been able to find the nurses. Um, we've worked hard to find nurses whose emphasis is on public health and community health. We've done it in a variety of ways. We've developed partnerships with the universities, having interns come in. Once they see school nursing and they understand that it is a specialty, we get nurses who are really interested in working out in, in the community. But how does, that, how does that work? Because isn't it the case that what they get paid in your district is less than what they would get if they were working in, in the private sector or even the public hospitals? It is absolutely we get paid less. Um, it has been a really hard sell at times. We tell people, yes, come be a school nurse. They're interested. And then we tell them, but you're going to take a $20,000 pay cut and you get to go back to school for another year to get your credential and you get to pay for your audiometry course. It is a hard sell. But what we do is we also promote, we have a schedule that works with nurses who have families. They are off when their students are off. At San Jose Unified in particular, we have a strong support mechanism for our nurses. We do a two-year new nurse orientation so that the nurses can come in and they can get that direct one-to-one -one support. One of the issues that we hear, Melinda, is that this year of going back for teaching credentialing is just too much of a burden for a nurse not to know whether he or she will enjoy the job. Is, is it necessary? Do you think the state should be easing on that requirement? I think there's value in the teacher credential, the school nurse credential. School nurses, when we come from the hospital, we speak the language of the hospital. When we come to schools, we need to speak the language of schools. And one of the ways that, that we learn the jargon and learn how to, to better communicate with teachers and school administrators is through our credentialing program. Uh, one of the areas, though, if, if a teacher is getting their credential, they get support through BITSA. Uh, and other programs, uh, but there isn't anything like that for our school nurses yet. We're talking with Melinda Landau, who runs the health and family support programs and the school nurse program at San Jose Unified. And just for the uninitiated, you mentioned the ideometry course. What is that? Yes. Um, in order to do hearing screenings, which is a major function that school nurses do in, in sites, is you have to be certified as a state school audiometrist. And that requires about 40 hours of classroom time. So our school nurses either take an online program or there's one program that they can do in five days. But it costs the nurses mm, seven, $800 to go through that program. But they have to have it in order to do hearing testing. Melinda, we know that nurses are important, but do you have any data to show the effectiveness of nurses on schools or student performance and health? Yeah, we did a project when we partnered with Lucille Packard Children's Hospital and Lucille Packard Children's Foundation for Children's Health. And what we found was that, that students who had any kind of a health problem were less likely to be proficient or advanced on their test scores. When we did nursing interventions, we did specific interventions for students with asthma we found that within the first year or two, 
the students actually improved to the point so that we leveled the playing field so that students who have chronic health conditions are just as likely to be proficient or advanced on their test scores as students who did not. What school nurses do is they remove barriers to students' success. Um, we really, we believe that a student's health should not be defined the barriers to success for students. So just in terms of what you're looking at down the road, I mean, there is a well-documented nurse shortage, school nurse shortage mm -hmm. in the state, actually nationally, but you have more nurses in San Jose than in many school districts. There's still this larger issue of the shortage. Is that something that concerns you? Uh, it does concern me, and I think as school districts, we really have to support the nurses that we have. Um, retention is a huge problem. First of all, we have to start off to make sure that we have the right fit. Nurses who enjoy working in the community. And then we have to provide the support for those nurses. We have to give them the training, the support that they need to be successful. And then we have to show them that we appreciate them. That's one thing that we have done pretty well at San Jose Unified, I think. Um, we uh, make sure that our nurses have input into how our department works and how we support students. We reduce the isolation so that they are working in teams. So I think those three areas are critical for school districts to look at uh, as they're looking to hire and retain school nurses. And uh, just the last question, are you somewhat gratified to see that school nurses is now back on the table in these teacher disputes? It's not just salaries for teachers, but more nurses, more counselors, more school psychologists, the kind of emphasis on the whole child. Uh, I am excited that the, the districts are looking at this. It has been a long time coming. Our school nurses have been working with their unions. Um, in our district, our nurses had our union reps walk around with them and see what a day in the life of the school nurse is. So many people think school nurse and they think we're sitting around waiting for a child to come and put a Band-Aid on a boo-boo. Um, but we are a specific nursing specialty. And to see this recognition of the importance of school nursing for students' success is really gratifying. Well, thank you so much. We've been talking with Melinda Landau, who is Manager for Health and Family Support Programs at San Jose Unified. Thanks for talking with us today. My pleasure. And good luck with your really important work in the schools. Thank you. I appreciate it. Up next, we'll be talking with Corey Codell, a professor at the University of Missouri, about the crisis in school pension costs. And the webinar we'll be hosting on this topic on March 6th. School districts' pensions expenses have soared over the past five years, since 2014 when the legislature passed higher rates needed to keep CalSTRS and CalPERS solvent so that they can pay pensions years from now. And John, for the uninitiated, what's CalSTRS and CalPERS? I always get them mixed up myself. Right. CalSTRS is a pension fund for teachers and administrators. CalPERS is a pension fund for other school workers, along with state, local, and county public employees. And John, you've written that district's pension rates have nearly tripled over the last few years. That's an average of about $1,000 per student. That means $1,000 that could be going to the student going to pension costs. That's right. That's $1,000 more than they were paying five years ago. Exactly. And it's expected to increase for a couple more years. So no relief in sight? Not immediately. 
And for those of you listening, we want to invite you to sign up for a webinar that we'll be holding next week, next Wednesday, March 6th, on this issue. And you can go to our website and sign up there, get registration details. One of the participants on Wednesday will be Corey Cadell. He's an associate professor of economics and public policy at the University of Missouri. And he's the author of a study on pensions for getting down the facts. That's a research project that Stanford University and the research nonprofit PACE published last fall. We have Corey on the line, and I asked him why pension costs have risen so fast. Well, they went up because of Assembly Bill 1469, which was passed in California in 2014. And that legislated a phased-in rate increase that's going to last through 2021, and then the rates are going to stay high. Uh, The reason the rate increase is needed is because the pension plans in California and CalSTRS in particular, but CalPERS as well, have accumulated uh, a lot of debt. And so the rates need need to rise in order to pay down a lot of that debt. Pension benefits have not been improving while these rates have been going up. So, Corey, how much will retiring teachers make in pensions when they do retire? And how does that compare with other state workers and other workers in general? So the retirement benefits for teachers are are pretty similar to retirement benefits for other public workers, and they tend to be uh, more generous than retirement benefits for private sector workers. And teachers and principals don't earn Social Security, isn't that right? In California, that's correct. Employees covered in CalSTRS are not also in Social Security. In a lot of other states, teachers are dual covered. They have a state plan and then also Social Security. So the rates that districts pay in expenses for pensions have risen substantially in the past five years. So why doesn't CalSTRS or the legislature simply change the benefits or make teachers and principals pay more? That, that's a tricky question. Um, I, I think it's a political question. And to me, it comes down to, you know, there's a lot of uh, ideological arguing over what the right type of benefit structure we should have. For me, the bigger issue is what are we willing to pay for and, and how are we going to pay for it? And I think that's the real issue that California is facing right now as these costs are rising is that maintaining these pension plans is really expensive. And we like the idea of, of pensions when we talk about them in the abstract, but when it comes to paying for them, we tend to be a little less happy about it. In terms of, say, dollars per students, what do pensions cost in California right now? I believe nationally the average per pupil cost for pension expenditures is about $1,300 per pupil. Uh, California is going to be somewhere in that ballpark. So we won't ask you what can be done in the future about this problem. We'll we'll entice listeners to uh, tune in next Wednesday. But will rates continue to rise? Can districts and parents anticipate increasing expenses in coming years? Um, So yes, rates are going to rise. Part of the 2014 legislation that initiated these rate increases Um, was for the phase into last through 2021. And so we're still ramping up toward that peak. And there's been some updates to the financial health of the plan that have suggested further increases are needed already. Um, Right now, the projection is that the rate increases are going to plateau in 2024. Um, There is a proposal in in the latest budget from the governor to try to reduce costs a little bit. But but frankly, that's not going to make a big difference in terms of the overall picture. But yeah, rates should continue to rise a little bit and then plateau, um, say, in six or seven years, and they'll stay at that high level. The current projection is through 2046. Yeah, I guess we should add that districts aren't the only entity that's paying for pensions, right? Teachers are kicking in some, and the state actually pays a share. 
yes, teachers in the state are both contributing substantial fractions of, um, of the total. Well, Corey, we look forward to hearing more on Wednesday at the webinar. So uh, we will talk to you then. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Well, John, we're looking forward to hearing more from Corey next Wednesday at 1 o'clock on the webinar, and he'll be joined by a terrific panel that you've put together. Yeah, thanks. You and I will be moderating the panel, and, and it's a really important issue. Pension costs are one of those costs that lurk in the background, and it's a big factor for what they call the, quote, silent recession, the expenses that are rising that make it really hard for districts to add programs and teachers and pay them well. So it's a big deal. And a factor in a lot of the labor disputes that we have begun to see in the state. Yeah, because pensions are an obligation. It's not an option. And uh, can't just walk away from them. I mean, teachers came into the profession on the grounds that they would be getting this uh, this benefit. Right. You know, um, it's a good time to plug something else, Lewis. At that webinar, we'll be introducing a five-minute animated video in which we actually try to explain the pension crisis in five minutes. It's a challenge, but I think people will enjoy what we came up with. Okay, looking forward to seeing that. And that uh, just about wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Thank you, Kobe. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.